Hang on a second. Why are you making all that noise? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can clean it out. Everybody was talking to me. I'm on the microphone. Okay, yeah, so. <laughs> what are you doing? We're doing this live. Come on. <laughs> right. Welcome to the Niagara Podcast, where we tackle daily life challenges and apply God's word to illuminate and preserve his truth while leading others to salvation through Christ Jesus. Let's join your hosts. Welcome to the Nabra Podcast. This is Jeff Anthony and my good buddy, Sean Campbell. Happy hey. to be here, y'all. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. We kind of had a hiatus or a little uh, siesta, a long, yeah. drawn-out siesta. Yeah, but Man. you said what? All one people said they they missed our episode last week. Is that? <laughs> yeah. As long as one person is listening, I'm willing to make to make the podcast. Yeah. We're here for you, and <laughs> we're playing to an audience of one. You know, people exactly. say, but maybe actually this time for literally and figuratively, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Edith goes, "Are you the one listener?" I was like, "How dare you!" <laughs> How dare I don't you, listen man. to that garbage. What are you talking it, about, man? <laughs> exactly. Time I put it on two speed. <laughs> Got to get to it. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh. Um. I know it's been a, a couple of weeks since uh, we got on here, and uh, life, man, life's just been crazy the last last couple of weeks. Just a whole lot going on. So I'm glad that we're able to do this remotely. And I know last week was just so crazy we didn't get a chance to. So uh, praise God that um, we had some time today to do this. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, let's kind of pick up where we left off. We left off with um, talking about the identity crisis and uh, yeah. taking a pastoral um, approach to things. And um, you ended that we were going to bring in um, how Christian hypocrisy uh, kind of flows into these things. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn the floor over to you and uh, let's get into some good, robust conversation. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, we finished the conversation about identity and we talked about, you know, what science says, what, you know, and I pointed this out last week that, you know, I frame my conversations based on what people say about themselves primarily. And so, you know, in, in the content, you know, we talked about this, the science, you know, and we've got, Deborah So's book in the library there, you know, the end of gender, you know, and she's a feminist <laughs> sex doctor. And she says there's two genders. So, you know, I'm taking her word for it. You know, we talked about how don't assume they're happy. And I had a quote from a liberal feminist lesbian. She says they're not happy. And, you know, so I try to frame the argument being very, honest to what people say about themselves. And so I think that's a good balance for we, for us to take as we walk through all these tough issues. And that is directly related to being a hypocrite that when we want to talk to people, talk about people in ways that we don't want to talk to them, you know, I pointed out that we need to speak like they're in the room. And I think understanding what people who are trapped in this identity say about themselves is essential for us to understand how we can respond thoughtfully, Christ-like way. 
and that will help us keep away from hypocrisy. Um, and, you know, when I reflected on it, I really wanted to just know what people think about who's excluded from the promises of God. You know, who is, who's missing in scripture that Jesus isn't talking to. And so thinking about the way he did his ministry, how he walked into those places, um, into the places that he should not have gone into if you listen to all the other religious leaders. And that's where we can avoid this trap is, you know, all too often the church has gotten stuff wrong. And I think this is one thing the church does get wrong often, especially with these hot button social issues, is we want to put our Pharisee hat on and say, you can't do that here. You're not a real Christian if, when that's not what Jesus did. And if we learn to love people where they are, not love what they're doing, we can see them in that place. And as Jackie O'Perry mentioned in the spring semester, you know, there is this community around these people because they're accepted. And if we're just going to say, well, you can't come in, you can't be a real Christian if you are same-sex attracted because you're addicted to this or you're addicted to that, then we aren't speaking the truth and we're not speaking in love. And so it's really important for us to stay away from hypocrisy by really thinking about, you know, who's excluded from the promises of God and really thinking, is everyone welcome at the cross? And then should sinners be welcome in our church? Because sexual identity is fundamentally no different than pornography, any other sexual sin for sure, but you know, gossiping and lying and stealing. And it doesn't have to be from Walmart. You know, Napster isn't around anymore, but I'm sure there's ways that you can gain the system online um, where theft doesn't look like picking somebody's pocket. But when we, when we think about who Christ came for, he came for the lost. And if, if we decide we want to be hypocrites, if we decide we want to be Pharisees, then we're probably in greater danger than the person stuck in sin because we're convinced we have it all right. Yeah. So I want to kind of back up a little bit. Um, Dr. So talked about the the two genders, right? Yeah. And um, the, for the last two weeks, uh, just listening to podcasts and, and just really thinking about before we started talking about this, that just like rumblings, um, when we think about the LGBTQ plus um, and whatever else is out there, um, it seems like the T is a problem for the LGB portion of things. Uh, yeah. So they, if you want to talk about like, uh, why is that not being looked at as much as like um, how we we approach it? Um, of talking about like, hey, there there is only two genders. Why is it? Um, why is media not showing that the LGBT has a bigger issue with T than the Christians do? Bigger than the cross has it. Um, right. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because yeah, I I listen to Christians on the issue. I listen to non Christians on the issue. Um, you know, one 
voice that I've heard is Dave Rubin. You know, he's mm-hmm. married to a man, has a baby, Dave and David, as it were. Um, and, you know, he talks about that, that, you know, the T basically betrays the L, G and B and basically denies the fact that they exist, <laughs> essentially, that they're categorically different, but they get lumped in at what is now the first half almost um that just they're betraying basically everything that the lg and b say yeah or because they're saying that what you feel is who you are where the lg and b just say what i feel is who i'm attracted to is that kind of along the lines of what you're talking about yeah um I think what what it does, it can, you're right. It cancels them out because you you can't be lesbian and you can't be gay or bisexual if there is no gender. You're just right. you're just sexual, right? And the and then I think about that, which falls into sexual immorality. If we were to re- eliminate the the talking point of like, oh, you know, the word homosexual never shows up in the Bible. That's made up. It's a word that talks about uh, man-boy sexual relationship, right? The talking point uh, of that, if T eliminates LGB, then it's just sexuality. So great. It doesn't say, it doesn't say homosexuality, but it talks about sexual sin and you're all in sexual sin, just like the rest of us. Right. And it, and I think they, they have an issue with that, but it also in, in quotations for everything they fought for, right? Like yeah. to be married and to be like, what was everything that supposedly they fought for is now been washed away because the T's, uh, I don't know, I, I'm a simple man, but that makes a <laughs> lot of sense to me, you know, like, wow, like, and it, and it was, and I, you know what, I it, I believe it was Dave Rubin that brought it up. <clears throat> and or actually uh, uh, Gregory Cole, in the uh, uh, single gay and Christian book, he mentions it as well. And uh, so, you know, I, of course, I've shared with you that, you know, there's people in my life that are um, homosexual. So, of course, because right. I'm trying to reach them and trying to be uh, at a level that's not affirming but caring. Like, I, I'm I'm trying to, do, like, I don't read books, man, but they they mean so much to me that I'm reading books, right, to, to get a better understanding and and to to see these people who are actually going through these things like transitioning and going through um, same sex attraction, and when they fu- when they finally encou- encounter Jesus in, in their life and give up, like to hear their pain and to hear them bring, bring out these points, it, it's it amazes me. But I also understand why the media doesn't do it. I understand because they're like, hey if they're self-destructing from the inside, we can't show that because we have to uh, basically whitewash tombs, right? We want to show that yeah. it's pretty on the outside. So. And, you know, that's what's heartbreaking about this whole thing is, you know, they're real people. We are all wretched sinners. And, you know, they want to act like the people who are actually struggling with it don't exist. And, you know, that just leaves the door open for people who are questioning or are struggling on the, on the front side of things, you know, they don't get the chance to really think about it, to critically examine what's going on because they're just being fed. You know, I talked about it this week, the Kool-Aid, like they're being told, drink the Kool-Aid, drink the Kool-Aid, drink the 
Kool-Aid and like with Jim Jones, the Kool-Aid's going to poison them. And, but we have to figure out a way to meet them where they are so that we can love them the way Jesus loved us. You know what I find difficult is coming to an understanding, right, that um, one transgender person or even um, same-sex attracted person, you know, all the books are basically the same as that. Just because you met one, you haven't met them all. And um, so I guess how, now, maybe maybe it's not the conversation for here. Uh, I think that's probably more evangelical than it is uh, apologetic-wise. So um, we'll come back to that uh, at another time. A couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. You know, hey. and that came up, that came up this week that, you know, I take C.S. Lewis, what he says about a lot of things really seriously. Um, but one of the things he says is, you know, he hated apologists because they always had to be right. Um, <laughs> and I'm in the same boat. I use apologetics to get me to evangelism because if you don't believe that Jesus exists, then me telling you what he said is meaningless. And so to me, apologetics is the means to get to the evangelical, to get to the evangelism, to get to the discipleship, because it hopefully just opens the door. You know, people are begging for a reason and apologetics helps make that a reasonable decision. And if we can use apologetics, to open the door, that's not going to isn't going to be what saves anybody. The truth of the gospel is what saves. I'm just hoping that it's a little WD-40 and, you know, maybe a little crowbar or something to, you know, pry off the, the hard shell so we can get to the meat of the gospel. And so, you know, I, I just, I don't want to make that distinction that we can't talk about evangelism because we're talking about apologetics because to me, they're two sides of the same coin. And mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, just sitting here, I was thinking, um, that's a hard thing for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I don't know, I find it kind of hard, like I'm saying that, I think maybe it's like a crutch. As much as I respect um, our brothers and sisters who are trying to inform us what that life is like and what that struggle is like, right? Just like when you and I give our testimonies about the things that we struggle. Um, yeah. I think it may be a crutch to in a disservice when we're like, Hey, that's, they're all individuals. It's individual stories, which is, it's like a half lie. I feel right. like, um, and these are people that, you know, that are, are on God's side saying it, you know yeah. what I mean? And just sitting right now, like, wow, like, what do we do with that? Like, um, right. Cause the, the next thing you, uh, the two genders, the next statement you made was don't assume that they're happy, but who's 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 to assume that they're not happy right because there's some people that are like you know dark knights joker some people just want to watch the world burn and they're happy with that yeah so um man how how do we walk that fine line how do we how do we do that well start with with the last one with this topic specific yeah (laughs) i mean you know it makes me think of you know, one of the questions that Frank Turk likes to ask is, you know, if Christianity were absolutely true beyond the shadow of a doubt, would you believe it? And I think that is a good question. And I think you could get there with 
you know, Lee Strobel's question that he likes to ask that if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And then the follow-up question, you know, listening to that thoughtfully is why that one, you know, out of all the things, why did you ask that one? And to me, that's like the other two questions that I brought up that uh, Greg Kogel brings up in tactics is what do you mean by that? What do you believe? What would you ask? And then why that one? What's your evidence? Why do you believe that? And so I, I like those two questions because they keep coming up. Um, you know, what do you believe and why do you believe it? What do you mean by that? What's your evidence? If you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And then why? And I think, I think those two questions are really easy to get used to and have a ton of utility. You know, when, when you're interacting with people, the logical place to start is, you know, what do you believe? You know, what is important to you? What, what either good or bad, you know, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? What do you believe? You know, what do you mean by that? All those things are the same question. Just it's a little bit clearer than, Hey, how you doing? Um, which is a meaningless question in modern <laughs> conversation. You know, Hey, how you doing? You know, it's really just the equivalent of, Hey, what's up? You know, you're not really asking the question, but if we're actually asking the question, they're all in the same area and they're all easy to get you to the heart of the issue. And my other two questions are, you know, where do we agree and what's the one thing? You know, if we keep those in mind, that will help us respond to the first two thoughtfully without coming off as the hypocrite, without coming off as the Pharisee, coming off as someone who is interested and who cares. And I think whether it's sexual identity, whether it's abortion, whether it's pornography, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's gossiping, we can approach all of them with just a couple questions. And I'll keep saying it that when we're asking questions, we're demonstrating that we want to know and we're not preaching we train ourselves to, to ask rather than to preach. So in, inside the wall, inside the walls of the church and part of the body, um, we have a lot of compassion. And sometimes the compassion um, can lead us astray in, in um, defending the people that, that we see, right? And yeah. uh, people that, that we love. So in, internally, um, how do you, do you ever do this to yourself? I guess do you ever just like when you, when you see something and, and it feels just like, man, I'm really struggling with this Do Like you do apologetics to yourself. Do you, <laughs> do, do you get what I'm asking? Like, like, do you ask you like, well, okay, Sean, that's interesting. Um, tell me about that. <laughs> do you, um, how did you get there? And like, do you ever do that to yourself? I definitely think about it when I'm asking other people, you know, because I want to know, do I really believe what I think I believe? You know, I don't, I don't want to be the CME, you know, it not mean what I think it means. I also don't want to be ignorant of what I'm really struggling with, what I'm confident about. And I don't want it to be, 
a house of cards. And so I don't necessarily sit and reflect on it that way when I'm by myself, but when I'm having these conversations with other people, when I'm asking them, like on Sunday with you, asking you the questions to define what you think. And while I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, where do I stand on this issue? You know, what is the evidence that, that I see? And it's not because I'm waiting for my turn to talk, but because I want to be able to respond thoughtfully. And so those opportunities have helped me in the moment, just reflecting on, you know, do I have good reasons for what I believe? You know, is there something other than the reasons that make me want to believe the thing? And that will help me even respond to your answers. You know, you think Paul's a misogynist because X, Y, and Z. Well, do I think he's a misogynist? Do I think he's patriarchal or all the, all the things? I want to know what you believe, and I'm comparing that to what I believe. And hopefully one of us either is on the side of the Bible or is moving that direction. And, and I pose this question because <clears throat> I think this is a, a big issue within the body is uh, because it's probably what we're facing most heavily right now is this push for um, different genders. And uh, most of all, the, the transgender movement of trying to um, really wreck, wreck um, God's plan of... Yeah. Um, of of fruitfulness right um because when we think about the effects that these hormone blockers have and then let's just talk about the more extreme um having surgeries to actually transition yeah. out like the that's that's something you can't come back from and yeah. what it ultimately does it's it's going to read oh my gosh no i'm thinking now compare conspiracy theory now <laughs> i was like it's the uh, uh uh oh what's that show called the uh hands made in tail <laughs> it's like you can't have babies no more everybody's everybody has a hands made in well, anyways it, it, it's gonna reduce down population it's gonna reduce down uh, the abilities to be able to reproduce um, you know god god has god is in control of everything Right at the end of the day, and I, I don't stress yes. too much about it. I'm still concerned, in the sense of like, how can I, in this in this situation, how can I glorify you, God? How can I do something to serve? Um, but you know, when I look at that, I think inside the, the church that we love people and we have compassion, that we sometimes will become kind of like the Rataya and and be a little bit like. Um, well, I, um, I'm going to go because I love them so much and I want to reach them that I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah. Uh, compromising is the word I want to use. That yeah. We compromise and we, we put ourselves in that situation and then we allow our emotions and feelings to blind us um, versus um, actually looking at the fact. And I think it's okay for us to be upset and have our feelings or, yeah, because I think when we get upset about about those things, it, it's really like the Holy Spirit being like, dude, you're so emotional about this. Why are you emotional <laughs> about it? Is it because you know you're wrong? <laughs> right? Like I think right. about when I get the most emotional, it's because I know I'm wrong. Right? And then I lash out. I lash out at others because I'm wrong. 
right? right. But it's in in a sense of like defense of the people I love, even though if I'm wrong, I'm still going to lash out. And um, so, how do we? How, how did this penetrate the church first? And um, is it? How do we fix it? Because if, if we're not going to be hypocrites and we're really going to be uh, followers of Christ, right? We we have to be able to to not only help the people outside of the wall, we need to help people inside of the wall. And um, and I mentioned it uh, in class is like apologetics is not just outside the building, it's inside the building because there's so many yeah. of us that they don't know what we believe and why right. we believe it. Mm-hmm. So, so how did it happen? What can we do? <laughs> I'll wait here, well, sir. I'm sipping my tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like to read, right? Um, and so, you know, one of my favorite authors is a godly man. He's a big man, um, happens to be black, as he will point out. Um, Bodhi Bauckham, uh said a long time ago, a long time ago, like eight years, 2015, I think. <laughs> he said that when a church declares that women can be pastors, it's the gateway drug to the whole thing. And his point was, when you change God's word for one thing, there's nothing to stop you from keep changing the rest of them. And, you know, I think we were talking about the United Methodist Church was one of the first that said, yeah, women can be pastors. And what last week they voted to formally recognize the whole rainbow. And, you know, when I heard him say it back in 2015, I'm like, yeah, that seems a little bit. I don't know. Like I hear what you're saying. I'm not quite seeing it that way, but man is blessed with wisdom and insight and he was spot on. And so not every church is going that direction, but a lot of churches are at least thinking that way. Well, you know, is it, is it really bad for women to be preachers or pastors or, you know, things like that? And, I'm not putting this on the women. I'm putting this on the church because they're the ones that are saying, Hey, maybe that doesn't mean what we think it means. And rightfully so we've gotten things wrong in the past. So maybe we're wrong on this issue. And fundamentally all goes back to the same question in Genesis. Did God really say, and when we start questioning what God said, it just opens the door to all kinds of evil. And so I think it's as simple and as complicated as that is questioning what God says in his word in smaller things. And because we don't think it means when in those smaller things, then we have no reason to reject the more crazier things. And you can say, well, you know, that's a slippery slope kind of thing, but it was just a slippery slope beforehand. Um, But that doesn't mean it's wrong because he wasn't the only one who said it. He's the first person I heard say it. And man, he was right. And so I think the solution there is seeking God's truth, going back to the word and really understanding what it does say. And that may be as little as, as simple as complementarianism, which is what, most conservative Christian churches believe that men and women were created equal. They're both made in the image of God. They're both individually gifted, but they are meant to complement each other where 
the egalitarian side says, yep, they're made in the image of God. They're both made holy. They're exactly the same. It's the feminist argument put in on to Christianity that men and women are exactly the same. There's no difference. And so they should be able to lead the church the same way. When we go back and look at what Paul is actually saying and what Jesus says and what the Old Testament says about who men are and who women are, that they exist and we can tell the difference when we we go back to the word and we, we study scripture and we prayerfully seek out what God is actually saying, not just saying to me, that's postmodernism is, well, what does that say to me? I don't care what it says to me. I want to know what God meant when he inspired the human author to write this and how we fix it is just continuing that to address all the ways that we have continued to obliterate scripture. So we got there by saying, did God really say the solution is yes, that is what he said. And when we realign ourselves at an individual level, and then hopefully in our, in our families, then at the church, then we can restore the truth of God's word and put it to practice. And I think if we do those two things and then are willing to go to the places where people who don't look, think, act like us, be armed with the truth of God's word, you know, like Hutt said on, on Sunday, there are two things absolutely I know. I love you. I care for you. That will not change. And God's word is true. And when we love people like that, we love people like Jesus. He showed we can change the world. He told us that you will do greater things than I did because the spirit of the living God is going to be inside you. You know, we were talking about on Sunday, you know, what does that mean now? Because the greater miracles had tended to see some things like that. But I mean, if if the church turned this tide, I think if I saw dead people rising, I'd fall asleep <laughs> because this is what seems to be huge chunks of society is saying this is not just good, but we need to endorse this completely. If the church turned that tide, like dead people coming to life would be no big thing because I mean, that's the equivalent of telling the mountain to go, to pick up and go over there because that is just a huge issue that is confronting the church. And if God used godly Christians to change that, man, there ain't nothing we can't do. Uh, thank you. Uh, I want to come back to that because uh, you mentioned the book uh, while we were doing a pre-podcast talk. And I want to use what you said for that to come back. Um, I want to make sure we have uh, ample time to to finish um, any important things that you had in regards to the uh, uh, identity crisis and also mm -hmm. uh, the Christian hi hypocrisy. Um, and then we can really get into this, this conversation because um, I know some of the questions that we have that were asked, I think this may play into that, um, but I yeah. find it really, I, I want to come back to this one and I think it, it it'll give a, a good give back and forth uh, of how this should look like. But um, right now, what, what, what you were just saying, it just reminded me of, <clears throat> of John 5, um, 19 through 70, uh, 
uh, 27, talking about the authority of Christ. And uh, he's talking about that, you know, that that, that the hour is, is now. And uh, he has full authority to give life to the dead, and he'll give death to those who are alive, but not, right? So he's kind of talking about, like, what you're saying right now is kind of like, what did God really say? Uh, where the Pharisees, they knew what God was saying, and they're like, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> so he yeah. gives them death. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, I, I, that's all that just came into my head. And it's funny because that's the, the study that we do on Saturdays um, at 7 a.m. at Old Pancake South. Um, we have a whole room to ourselves if you're up early enough and like pancakes. I suggest you come work on through John. <laughs> uh, it's a good plug there. It's a good plug. Um, but we literally just went through that, uh, talking about that. And it's just, uh, um, I think it's important because it's, it, it, he can either kill a church or he can yep. raise it. So, yep. and man, I definitely would love uh, for him to use that defibrillator right now and raise, raise us. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, um, cool, man. I think we're getting into some deep stuff there, but we do have, a non-time limit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a non-time limit like that. So, all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, let's get, let, let's, we're going to come back to that um, and just kind of focus. Uh, was there uh, more points that you want to point out? Because I know you had a whole list of things that um, a lot of people didn't really ask. Um, I would say definitely hit the most important ones um, that stand out to you that you think, like, I have to get this message out. Um, you know, we we have the time to do it. Yeah. And they all go back to scripture. Praise God. You know, yes. I, I mentioned it uh, before, but I was looking at Thyatira and Revelation as you were talking about it. But in Galatians 3. You said 325, right? I think I wrote that down. Yeah. Galatians 325. Um, you know, but since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian for through faith we are all sons of god in christ jesus for those of you who are baptized into christ have been clothed with christ there is no jew no greek so no chosen people no forbidden people no christian no pagan read that that way no jew no greek no slave or free, no male and female. Now, that doesn't mean what the world thinks it means. Um, <laughs> but no male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if that's true, how can we tell people that sexual sins out the bound, out of bounds for God's grace for salvation? The question that I wrote down but didn't ask is unloving truth, unwanted truth, unloving. So what do you think? Is unwanted truth unloving? What does that mean? <laughs> if I don't like it, <laughs> does it make it unloving? No, of course not. It's, there's a lot of things that I don't like. <laughs> like my parents <laughs> discipline me, right? Like that's right. that's not unloving. It's, right. it's very and loving. And it's definitely unwanted though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, no. No, don't break out the switch. <laughs> right. In case for some of you that don't know what a switch is, <laughs> look it up. No, just, um, 
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But and, I, I, and that's the problem is a lot of churches would say yeah, would say yes. Um, sorry, the guard dog is, is that Maverick going after somebody? Yeah, Maverick. Um, there's a lot of churches that would say yes, it is unloving because that's not affirming, and the question that we have to know they're asking is did god really say you know i talked about when you were discussing uh single gay and christian is that gay single and christian yeah Yeah. it automatically makes Mm -hmm. automatically makes me think of matthew vine's book god and the gay christian or colby martin's book you know unclobber how the church has misused scripture to harm homosexuals and that's the other thing one is words don't harm people but too many churches say well yeah you are harming people because it doesn't feel good and so i expect the answer to be no but it's something that we need to be prepared for that the answer might be yes and so how do we how do we deal with that and if we operate under the principle that you know, you can't say anything against me. Otherwise you're might as well be committing murder to we're all one in Christ and he fixes everything. How do we apply that? Yeah. I'm having a and squirrel moment. I'm having a squirrel moment. So I got to right. get it out there. Cause I think it's important. <laughs> all right. I'm thinking right now, do you think our, our, uh, the church, uh, big C, um, right. Like small C Catholic, big yeah, C church, exactly. small C Catholic. Yeah, that, that's for that's for ninety five thesis. You can't bring that in because we're switching okay. right now. So all right, all right. we got to put a handle on things. Right. <laughs> I don't know anybody who says that. <laughs> um, okay, so do you feel that we put this one thing, the LGBTQ, um, kind of like a, a like it being smoke in the air, like to not give clarity to hide the bigger issue in the church of infidelity that they're like, I can use this, this can wag the dog. And that's what we're going to focus on because it, it just looks way worse than me cheating on my spouse, me having sex outside of marriage. So ask your question again. Yeah. So or does the <laughs> church use LGBTQ um, as a way to basically wag the dog to right. to be the red herring basically you know the to distract the church of the real problem of hey we have huge amounts of infidelity we have huge amounts of uh, people having sex outside of marriage we have huge amounts of children out of wedlock we have huge amounts of people um having abortions with you know what i mean uh yeah just thinking about christian sexuality everything that we did like right now it's culminating to me to this point, like, wow. Right. Like, I guess maybe because I'm trying to take the stance of the other side where we're hypocrites a bit, that maybe right. that's where they can be like, Hey, look, you, yeah, it's an issue, but you guys are beating up on us and not really looking at yourselves in the sense that it's okay for you to have all that. And I bring this up because somebody brought it up to me as far as like the um, Protestants, um, that when they go get baptism, right, and it's because, uh, that they keep getting recommitted in the sense like, oh, I'm just washing away my sins, and it's easy for me to do it. I just got to keep getting recommitted, 
And I was mm-hmm. like, well, it doesn't kind of work that way. It's, that that's not what right. baptism is. <laughs> I was like, right. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, whoever told you that, that's incorrect. I was like, that it sounds like a Catholic teaching to me, but <laughs> yeah, or a or an old zest, a zest yeah. soap commercial, you know, getting mm-hmm. zestfully clean, you mean, you know, just washing it off, you know. And yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, it could be, but you know, so another book I just read um, actually taught me something uh, written by Nancy Pierce, the mm-hmm. Toxic War on Masculinity, mm-hmm. and you know, she did. I heard about it on. She sat down with Frank Turek on for three different times talking about all this research she did. And what she found is that is actually a lie of Satan. That Christians have all this sin in the church. And I'm saying that everybody in the church is is perfect by any means. But what her research found, and she did a lot, and then did meta research, you know, looked at other people's research and made all these valid conclusions with evidence. Um, The Christians who tend to be worse husbands, more unfaithful, addicted to porn, addicted to alcohol, you know, all the things they're Christians in name only they're nominal Christians. Right. And, but actual church going faithful, prayerful disciples of Christ are far and away better than the world. Not perfect, but better than the world in every category. You know, she talks about it, about marital faithfulness. She doesn't talk to husbands. She talked to wives. Um, and, so, and so, yes, there is, there could be some, hey, look over here. It could be a red herring. It could be a distraction. But I think this is just the logical response to what we're seeing on television and in movies and all these things that it may not be the one thing, but I think it's easily and perhaps justifiably a reasonable distraction because it does look like it's everywhere. It may not be as bad as we think it is, but we need to be prepared for this because it is literally everywhere. It's on the news. It's on cartoons. It's in Disney movies. It's on, you know, just everywhere. And so if we're not willing to have these conversations, we're setting ourselves, our kids and our churches up for failure. You know, I, I bring up, you know, the last 18 months at our house, you know, this conversation started with us in spring of 2022, when Amy Schneider won Jeopardy two months in a row. And it didn't take long for, you know, Lincoln, who at the time was seven mommy that doesn't look like a woman (laughs) well (laughs) and he finally tweeted out you know it's so great to be in this you know this super affirming you know environment and so that was a conversation we had to have otherwise we were surrendering to in this case jeopardy that yeah there's nothing wrong with that yep don't trust your eyes don't trust what's going on that it's it's there and then you know disney movies and you know i showed the video from blues clues for from pride month of 21 you know they're literally spoon feeding this to our kids and so we can't ignore it it may not be the only issue the church is facing but if we're not willing to face that then we may just hang it up because we are 
we are surrounded by darkness and if we're not willing to understand what the darkness is and push back against it then just turn off the lights and surrender the keys to to our churches mm-hmm. because yes it isn't the only sin that christians face but it is the thing that the whole world is talking about and if we're not listening to godly leaders if we're not we we're talking about europe you know they're decades ahead of us you know they're on the other side of this thing if we're not learning from their lessons you know if we're not looking for the detransitioners if we're not if we're not trying to seek the truth and like we've talked about with our library um that there's books in there that are consistent with a lot of things in the christian worldview but aren't christian books um which is part of the reason we put them in there because you know the world gets a lot right they're not always right and when we want to surrender our our faith over to the world then we're dishonoring god the one of the last points i was i i didn't get to was that this is it is not the christian option to bury this issue in cultural norms and when we want to say hey well you know i know you've got unfaithful i know you've got unfaithful husbands and fathers i know that they're doing all these wretched things yes they are that's not we um, can't bury this issue in cultural norms and we can be faithful to god and good stewards of his word by saying yes we're screwed up this is important it can be a both and kind of situation that yes we're awful we're sinners in need of grace but this is important and i think we need to keep that constantly in mind that nobody is good nobody is is right in the eyes of god without the blood of christ so we need the same love that they do mm-hmm. and you know i tell the kids you know don't treat others the way you want to be treated treat other people the way you were treated by god and when we love people that way we can fix our own house and we can respond to the world yeah. um and talking about dr piercy uh you know i think one thing uh when i listened to her uh she was talking about um guilty by proxy and then you're also innocent by proxy too <laughs> so it's kind of like a double-edged sword um the the church is guilty because of the uh, christ by name only right because that's what it's easy to pick off those and um elevate them to be the um the image of christ right and then uh, yep. but they're also made innocent because of the work of the the faithful that they're like oh because i'm a christian i'm i'm saved i'm because of this because i'm right so um <laughs> did you kind of follow what i'm saying uh, the way she said it is way better than me i mean she's a doctor so um, right. way better with words um but it made a lot of sense to me um in in this issue is that uh, of course i use those words loosely as far as a lot of people doing this a lot of people doing that a lot of you know and, uh, those sins in particular that i mentioned um 
you know, the, those were on purpose because that's the way the outside world looks at it, that they take um, Christians by name only as actual Christians and be like, hey, here you go. And I'm not going to judge their hearts, but their, uh, their, outs- their outside actions show their inside, right? So, um, it's a, so um, but you ended with saying pieces knowing that our obedience doesn't hang on each other, but it only hangs on Christ. And I think that's, that's absolutely because when we try to um, say, "Hey, well, I can't, I can't follow God and His rule b- because of you," we're already wrong. Known, um, it should be like, "Well, I, I don't follow Christ because of you. I follow Christ because of Him and because what He's done and what He's doing for me and what He's gonna do, right? And which is the ultimate when He returns, which is give us eternal life." So. Um, but you did touch a little bit on it, and that's something that I wrote down. I thought that was uh, really well said. So I, th- I think that's a good, you know, formal transition to, you know, how does this play into, how is this connected to our hypocrisy? You know, you asked specifically about sexual sin, but just in general, how do you think the way we respond to issues of sexual identity and things like that, how does that make the world see us as hypocrites guilty by association um i don't man it's it's really hard i can say from like before i became saved like i can see where they they pull a lot of that out as um in the sense that the christians that i've encountered right is um kind of like um was brought up to us was luke 8 luke 18 10 um where the pharisee and the tax collector are both praying um I think I, I've seen a lot more Pharisees than I've seen tax collectors, and so <laughs> um, I think that's that's where I think that's the issue is that um, you know, and I'm guilty of being a Pharisee every now and then too. But uh, praise God that you know uh, He's given me a wife to to be like, hey, bro, <laughs> remind me, <laughs> like, nah, nah bro, bro. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, to remind me of those things, right? And um, and I'm just. Uh, praise God that he he puts he convicts me in my heart. And before she says that, I already know. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's where the the hypocrisy comes is that we're we're more Pharisees than we are uh, when we're seen as that as a hypocrite. We're more Pharisee, Pharisee than we are a tax collector. And when we when we're able to see that we're um, a tax collector, right? So what does that mean to be a tax collector? Let's put that in context, right? Um, and we look at Levi and um, AKA Matthew, like how big of a deal that was, right? Like, dude, he was worse than a Samaritan. Yeah. I mean, cause at least the Samaritans, you know, wanted to be Jewish where the tax collector was literally working for the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he was, and- I mean, he was the uncle Tom in common parlance. He was the guy who looked like everybody else, but was working for the man. And so the tax collector was the lowest of the low, you know, and it says, Jesus says this is a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, so it is in all Jesus parables. It was teaching us about the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there's the hypocrites, the, the ones who say they do everything right and demand obedience from everybody else. And then there's tax collectors, the ones, and they knew they were broken. 
they knew they were despised and rejected. I mean, in the chosen, you know, Matthew talks about that, you know, I can't, I can't go back to my house. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of that because I know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That cinematic, um, interpretation, man, it, it gets me because it's, it's, it really, I mean, it pulls out your heartstrings because, uh, you know, that, that crew is really saying like, this is who we are. Like, that's how we do feel. And, um, and we try to hide, we try to hide that. Right. And to see that, like in Matthew's case, like, like, wow. Like, and, and it, uh, um, and it blessed me because it made me really realize like, why this parable is, is such a big thing. Like I didn't understand. I was a tax collector. I mean, everybody hates a tax collector, but to know like, Hey, they were Jewish people, um, basically, uh, oppressing their own people. Like, yep. I was like, dang, bro. That's yeah. I can see the hate. I can, I can see why people would spit and just, you know, like all those things. And, uh, to see Christ just step in and be like, follow me. Like really me? <laughs> like right. do you, like nah, you don't want me, bro. Like yeah. do you see me? No. And it's like it, I do see you. Yep. No one else does, but I see you. So it's like And, yeah, and I, I love I, that Luke I love that yeah. Luke wraps that up and he tells you why he picked him. The yeah. the one who the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other because he knew he was busted. He was shameless, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Paul was channeling the tax collector in that way, that I am this wretched human being. You know, I can't even raise my eyes to heaven. I'm so ashamed. That man knew his sin. The Pharisee refused to admit he had sin and was just confidently pointing out everybody else's sin. You know, um, I think about like in in Mark. Um, and I think it's it's Mark because I don't think Luke brings um, brings up where he 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 meets he meets Matthew, right? I think it's 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 in Mark um, that John Mark calls him by his by his name Levi, and what that what that means that to to have that name Levi, you know, and um, I always I always laugh because you know to think like how um, <laughs> uh, the chosen like I think about the chosen like how Peter had this this quarrel with him oh no Luke Luke does call him by Levi as well uh, so they all call him Levi but he he only call, but Matthew Matthew calls himself Matthew, Matthew and not Levi right yeah yeah which is instructive I think yeah. yeah so but I find it like what a blessing it really is that they're like hey man you may not see yourself as Levi, but you're a Levi because that's, that's who you are, <laughs> you know? And, uh, I think it's cool. I just, uh, to see it. And then, like I was saying on the chosen where we see Peter, he just like, he doesn't like him at all because he's a tax collector. So, right. But, yeah. And squirrel moment there, but it's just, it's just beautiful how, how God's like, man, I see everybody and I call to everybody. And yep. like you said, right. The, don't love people the way you want to be loved, but the way, Christ loves us. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the solution to hypocrisy. Is, mm -hmm. You know, the world, the world is going to hit on us because we're not perfect. When we admit our sin, like the tax collector, like Matthew, and we recognize, yep, we are dirty, rotten sinners. 
when we're shameless about that and love people the way we've been loved, that's how we flip the script on hypocrisy. That's how we can respond like Jesus. Yep. That was me. Look what he's done. You know, like, like the chosen come and see like, yep. Look, man, look how awful I was. Look what God's done in me. And by asking good questions, loving people, sticking to the truth, I think we can, I know we can change this. So right now, literally, I have Luke 6, um, verse 27, um, all the way through 36, and it's love your enemies. Like, uh, what a, by chance, it was just there, because <laughs> I was looking for Levi, and that's what it came up to, right? And we think about what does it mean to love someone else the way Christ loves you? And if we can go ahead and go back to the scene of the cross, okay? Christ is literally living this out. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Jesus was being cursed, being put up on a tree, going back to the Levitical law of what it meant to be hung on a tree. And I think about that day that Christ was being hung on that tree that he didn't allow, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the betrayed, the one that betrayed him, Judas. Yeah, Judas. He that he let the tree break because like no because of the curse that comes with being hung on a tree. Uh, you know, he spilt out but but that day that, that curse was on, on, on Christ, God's wrath was coming on him. Pray for those Alone. who abu- yeah. Pray pray for those who abuse you. And I think about how they were abusing him there by mocking him and spitting at him, you know. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the, the other also. For one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. To, to think, you know, and to know that he was up on that cross naked. To give <clears throat> to everyone who begs for you, from one who takes away uh, your goods, do not demand them back. As you uh, wish that others would do that to you, so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you go... If you do good to those who do good to uh, you, what benefit is that to you? For, for for even sinners do the same. And if you lean to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinner, sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I get so emotional thinking about him on the cross to think that his flesh was torn and bleeding out, nails through his hands and feet, thorns, huge thorns being driven into his his head, and all he can do was pray for us. Yeah. That, that's what... Not all that he can do. That's what he did. He prayed for us. He asked for our forgiveness. If that if that's not love, man, I don't know what else is. And that's what we need to do. That we have to love people that way. That as they spit in our face, that we still love them and forgive. Ask God to forgive them so we can forgive them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just amazing. It's just it is. You know, and you were reading from Luke 
made me think of first Corinthians 13, you know, and this it's read at weddings and all other places and it works, but like this explains why he said that this is the why, because love is patient. Verse four, love is kind. It does not envy. It's not boastful or arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of wrongs. You look at what Jesus said about how we're supposed to love and how we show our love. We know why and how in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Now, the world is going to say, well, we're just going to stop there. But (laughs) the next verse is love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, and that was what one of the things that in her book, Alicia Childers, um, Live Your Truth and Other Lies is the name of her most recent book. And she talks about that, that, you know, God tells us what love is. This is what it is. This is what it's not. It doesn't rejoice in sin, but rejoices in the truth. So if we take what Jesus said in Luke and in Matthew, in all the gospels and apply how Paul explains that to the Corinthians. That's a divine combination. Yeah, praise God. What a wonderful God we have. Amen. You ready to get into debate? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let me put on my debate hat. All right. All right. Bring it on, man. Okay. All right, to go back to your Vody Bakum yeah. quote, the problem, so what you're telling me is the problem is women pastors? <laughs> that's the sign. Okay. What does yeah. that mean? But go ahead. Well, it, it's kind of like the, the inverse to what Audrey said about baptism, it's the outward sign of an inward commitment. Vody was saying that women pastors is the outward sign of an inward lack of faith in scripture. Mm-hmm. So the issue wasn't women pastors. The issue was undermining scripture, which was demonstrated by women pastors. Okay. So you believe God's word? Bring it on. Without a doubt. Okay. So I'm going to do what they do just so we All can... Right. For the sake of things, right? Bring it on. So in Galatians 5, it talks about that when a man is not able to fill the role of leader, that the woman has to lead so the man can then come back and lead. And you talked about a book earlier that, um, what was the name of the book? I don't want to mistitle that book. Nancy book? Um, the, not the, uh, no, about the men not going to church. Oh, <laughs> why men hate going to church by David mm-hmm. Morrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I haven't, I haven't read that. I can only assume, um, based on that title, what the other side would be like. Yeah, I know why, um, because uh, my wife's gonna nag and say, "Hey, that's you." <laughs> um, right. So if we look at that, um, in in today's society, they're the women are the ones that are rearing and raising our children in the church as the men are not. 
Um, evidence of that is the our men's group, where our men's group is small in comparison to the women's group that is large. Um, women are willing to talk about the hard things. Men are not willing to talk about the hard things. Uh, men are do as I say, not as I do. So we see uh, throughout scripture, women redeeming men in, in through, our, through our faults. I'll give it that at the end of the day, um, the hierarchy belongs to the man and not to the woman. But yet, we're going to blame them for the faults. Why are we not blaming the men for the fault? Well, that's where we screw it up is because we don't. And in that way, men can and should take the lead. And, you know, our wives don't need to tell us that we're doing the wrong thing. As we said, we probably don't need anybody else to tell us that we're doing the wrong thing. But as men, we should be the ones standing up and following Paul's example. Said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, sharing the truth in love, but calling a spade a spade. You know, when, if something's messed up, we need to love like Jesus. You know, what Paul says, you know, expel the unbeliever, treat him. It's kind of a catch 22, but it's, <laughs> I don't like that phrase in this case, but, you know, treat him like an unbeliever. How are you going to treat an unbeliever with love and respect and care and truth? And so, you know, we'll get rid of them. And the church just thinks we'll get rid of them. But what it says is treat them like an unbeliever. Well, that means you kick them out of the church. No, that means you go back to the basics with them. And so I think that applies in the situation that, you know, we fail when we don't hold men accountable for their decisions. But if they're stuck in that sin, we need to treat them like they don't understand Jesus. You know, you can't expect someone who doesn't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus. And evidently he doesn't know Jesus. So we need to treat him like he doesn't know Jesus and teach him, disciple him to train him. And, you know, scripture tells us that the God's word is faithful and is useful for teaching and training and rebuking. And we go back to the book. It's got all the answers. It's not a sociology book. It's not a history book. It is, it is a selective history of one group of people who are following a holy God. But when we go back to the book, it tells us what right looks like. Jesus showed how it's supposed to work. Paul told us how it's supposed to work. They both said the same thing. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's got to start with love. But as Hutt said last Sunday, as I said back in May, truth without love is abusive and pharisaical. Love without truth is mushy sentimentalism. So when we, we love like we've been loved and are equipped with the truth, then we can reverse the tide. We can go in and we can teach men to be godly because we're not punching them in the eye. It's not a throat chop. Say, hey, man, you know, I've been there too. There's a way out. And I think that's how we reverse the tide in society and in the church. And we've got to do both at the same time. We have to, to train and teach and disciple men to be good fathers, to be good leaders in their communities and their churches. We need to teach our sons to respect their mother, to love their sisters, to treat women as people made in the image of God and not as meat. That's how we fix that problem. That's how we reverse that tide so that it isn't women holding up the church 
but men can stand up they can be recognized and they can be called upon to do the right thing can be rebuked in love when they screw things up they can be admonished and discipled to be better does that answer your question um um to be a good listener i'm going to follow up with a couple things then and make sure that was uh, listening sincerely so based on your response um, women pastors being the sign of the problem is that a charge against men and not so much against the women yep okay yep definitely i mean it's it's all on us because we decide well god's word doesn't mean what we think it means and yeah because women are clean up all our other messes we are let just give them the the floor and in saying that i'm not denying that women do impact the world women have changed things for the better in a lot of places but god's design from the beginning is that the man leads at home and at church and that decision was made by men I mean, like Roe versus Wade, like that, there was no women on the court. Men made that decision. Same way in the Methodist church, same way in a lot of progressive churches, it all started with men making the wrong decision. And so just like other situations, when men don't step up, women are going to, our sin started that problem. Thank you for clarifying that. So uh, following up on the, uh, did God say that? So who's saying, did God say that? Is this the men uh, having lack of knowledge of what God said? Is it man who's um, being more Nicolaitan here and um, being more um, welcoming of coexistence, new thought, new um, new thought teaching? Um, and that's the problem? Uh, or if that, if that wasn't co- coherent, it, where he said, did God really say that? Are men of the church the ones posing that question and trying to figure out what God said? And are they using new thought to come up with the ideas that it's okay for women to lead the church and a step back? You, you may not know the answer, but it, it may be one of those, is it an assumption or what's your thoughts? So the first thing I heard you say was, who is saying, did God really say mm-hmm. so the first time it was satan in the garden um, mm-hmm. the last two times i've heard it were colby martin and matthew vines the thesis to their books is god didn't are you sure god said that because i don't think he said that and so in that case all three cases we're assuming satan is a male in that situation so three men asked the same question two of them in the modern church movement one at the beginning of creation, they are literally asking that question. Did God really say, and thus creating all the problems for everybody around them by the current leaders in some churches saying, yeah, God didn't really say that. So take your pick, choose your own adventure, define your own reality. We fail our families when we refuse to stand up. We fail our churches when we don't stand on the truth of God's word. Light bulb moment. The devil said that. Yeah. Understand the first part, women pastors, is the sign. How it ties. Get it? 
Got it. See, that's why we ask good questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that, uh, uh, and like you said, not only just asking good questions, you have to be a good listener to ask good questions. Yeah. Because so. otherwise you're just waiting for your turn to talk. Yeah. I don't ever do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Um, cool, man. That That's great. Now, I do want to um, have the opportunity uh, to honor the people that did send you questions. Um, I feel like uh, um, we owe these guys at least a two-hour pod- podcast. <laughs> 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 um, and to show them that we, we truly do care about what they they have to say. I know that we covered uh, like two of them out of the six that you got, right? So I'm not sure if you want to yes. cover those two or you want to cover some of the other ones. Yeah, so I got... I got five. Um, isn't Christianity just another cult? And then related to that, I think, is do you really believe in this myth? Um, and then how does that, that connect to this other question is why do all the old people think X is wrong? Um, and, you know, I responded to those things with questions. You know, I specifically the first one, you know, isn't Christianity just another cult is, you know, what do you mean by cult? What do you mean by Christianity? Um, and it goes back to what do you believe? You know, what do you think of that? What's your evidence? You know, what do you mean by cult? What do you mean by Christianity? When have them define the terms and that shed lights on this shed light on the situation and it buys you room for discussion. You know, start with questions and have them define it because they may have a, a warped sense definition of cult. They may have a complete wrong definition of Christianity, but if you don't ask them to define them, then you're going to be struggling to come up with an answer because you don't know what they know. You don't know what they think. And, you know, I pointed out in class that a cult typically has three or four characteristics. One is that, a cult is usually started by some dude who thinks he knows something special about God. And because it's one guy with this special message, it has to be secretive and it has to be small. And because like most of us know, so close to Waco, it almost always ends badly because there's no escape, you know, be it David Koresh, be it Jim Jones. I mean, be it Scientology. Like you can't escape without major fallout. And so when we know that that's what an actual definition of a cult is, and then, you know, well, the world thinks a cult is just something that they don't like that's centered around something specific. And I point out, well, you know, Jesus claimed to, to know something special and he did start with a small group, but as the Pharisee said in acts, you know, if this isn't of God, then we don't have to worry about it. But if it, because he knew that all cults were short-lived back in the first century, that's the same way. And so when we operate with that knowledge and ask good questions, which is essentially Greg Kogel's new book, Street Smarts, is lead with questions, be armed with the truth so that you can ask the right questions and be prepared with the best response in response to could be potentially just crazy stuff you know the one of the other questions is do you really believe in this myth and a good the question that immediately came to my mind is which parts are mythological 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then that makes them get into the book. <laughs> One, there's method to that madness. But two, again, it shows you what they think. Well, well, this part and that part, so, you know, when, you know, I've, I've read the atheist books and they say, well, cause there's, you know, dragons and dinosaurs and all these things, you know, Mark Twain says, so you believe in witches and people walking on water and talking donkeys. And you say, we're the ones that need help. Um, so those things are kind of true, but they don't mean what he thinks that they mean. And so having them clarify what they think is mythological, but armed with understanding of the apologetic side of things that scripture is trustworthy. The Bible is the most well-attested book on the face of the earth, asking good questions, being armed with the truth. Um, you know, why, why do these old people care so much about this? Why don't you care? Is there anything that you do care about? And then why are those issues so important to you that you do care about those? And then that can inform the rest of the discussion based on what you do know about the truth in scripture. And now you know what they think and you can find that point of agreement to be armed with the best thing to say next. What do you think about those questions? Um, I think they're, they're great questions. Um, I think they're really like softball questions though. Okay. I think they're really that difficult. I think they're pretty easy. Um, well, maybe I say that just because, um, once again, um, just be not, not just reading your Bible, but actually studying the Bible and knowing God's word. Um, right. It, it makes it a lot easier to, uh, to, to step into these things because it is like, Oh, why is, isn't Christianity in a, another cult? I mean, that's a pretty simple question. You're like, yeah. Right. Well, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> a cult? Yeah. Right. It's like, um, you know, we're talking like cult movies or, you know, like, Oh, everybody likes to follow it. Cause it's, it's cool. Or is it a cult because we're brainwashed? Like what's your definition? Exactly. Right? It's easy. It's, it's pretty easy to get into. And why, like you said, why do people think X is wrong? Oh, well, why do you think it's not wrong? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. good questions. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and you get better with practice and mm-hmm. get used to just responding with a question. Yeah. And it's not gotcha. And, and it's not, you know, a logical fallacy assigned. And just where'd you get that? You know, mm-hmm. come again over, you know, you know what did what do you say? And you know, what do you mean by that? And then, you know, what are your definitions? Because those are all helping you make a good response. And I think you're right that they're softball questions, but we get geeked out about it. You know, we, we freak out about the thing because, well, somebody's asked me a question and you know, I'm not being critical of anybody who sent me the questions because they're real. But when we take a step back and say, I have a rational faith. I don't just believe it because it feels good. I can respond to these questions, not out of fear. And they don't present much of a challenge to even the slightly thoughtful Christian, but you got to see it to believe it sometimes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said was no apologetics. Uh, oh, hold on. I wrote this half asleep. So, <laughs> asleep. <laughs> Oh, you can't have any real apologetics without really knowing what the Bible says and what you believe. Uh, so, um, and I think that's why I, I guess I can see where these may not be softball questions for people that don't really know and don't really believe. 
that it'd be easy to be easily manipulated. Um, and I'm guilty of this. And um, before I came to Christ, you know, why I used to love the uh, Jehovah's Witness and the LDS to come to my door, because I was ready to be like, yeah, well, let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why it's myth. Let me tell you why it's just fairy tales. Uh, you still there? What it? Sean. You back? Yeah. Yeah. We had a glitch in the system. It's the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> matrix. How much did you hear? Um, you're talking about challenging the JWs and the LDS. You know, let me show you how you're wrong. Yeah. You know, now, of course, you know, um, both of those groups, you know, now if they were to walk at my door, I'd be like, hey, isn't JW just a cult? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, t- I'm going to take a whole different stance now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I'd be like, are they going to be ready for me? Uh, instead of speaking venom, I'm going to be spe- uh, uh, speaking love. You know what I mean? So, right. But it, it, right. But if you're not prepared for those things and not really knowing what you believe apologetics can be very, very difficult. And uh, I'm not trying to say that, like you're mentioning that these questions are not important because they are, they're important to the person who asked you that question. But I think it all comes back to what you said that you can't have any form of apologetics if you don't really believe and know what you believe in. I mean, cause that is basic. That is what apologetics is, is providing reasons for what we believe. We talk about, Second Peter three sixteen, you know, be prepared to respond to anybody who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. Mm-hmm. That if we don't have a reason, then there's no way we can give it to somebody else. If it is just, I believe the Bible because I believe the Bible. You know, we talk about this in my logic class with the high schoolers. And that's a circular argument. I can trust the Bible because the Bible says I can trust it. Yes, there could be true, but it's a bad reason. And that isn't what an unbelieving world is looking for. Made me think of DC talk right there, but you know, (laughs) the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is in Christians who worship Jesus, who honor Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. But at the same time that goes to the hypocrites. But if we're not thinking about what we believe, then we can't defend what we believe. Yeah. The, there is one question that brings concern out of okay. love for me, and it's, I really don't care that much. That one, that one's not a softball. That is a fastball right down the middle. Yep. Um, and it's one of those that I'm just, I'll probably not even swing my bat at it and kind of like see it fall right into the glove because I'm like, wow, what do I do with that? <clears throat> um, so with that, what do we do with someone that's like, I just don't care? One, I feel like it's a fallacy because they're they're one they're stating it, and I feel like they're stating it to give me a shock factor, and be like, I do care, but no one's given me any reason to care. Yeah. And the ev- evangelical part of me, I just wanted to shake them like, What do you mean you don't care? <laughs> <laughs> that that will go wrong in all sorts of ways. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, Yes. Yeah, so. And you're right. Like that's, I think that's probably the reason why the world is so lost is they just don't care that much. And, you know, like Jesus, seeing them in that spot, listening to what they say. And I think you're right, man, that's what do we do with that? 
good questions. Like I feel like a broken record, um, <laughs> but I think that sign that it works is really like, do you, do you really not care? And if the answer is yes, tell me about that. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's not an attack. It really is just clarifying that, man, what, even that question, what, what happened that made you feel that way? Have people love stories. People respond to stories, have them tell them their, tell you their story. You know, what, man, what, what happened that made you feel that way? You know, who, who hurt you so badly that, that, that you just want to give up. You know, we talked about Batman earlier, just that you would rather see the world burn. Like what, what got you there? Like, and you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to attack you. That's not a gotcha question. I really want to understand, you know, tell me about that. And that buys you so much. One, you learn a lot, but two, when you ask somebody who doesn't think they've got a reason to care about them, when you show that you care, I've seen that open doors wider than I ever imagined that they could because you showed that person who says they don't care that you care. And we can show that care by asking questions. Tell me about that. Wow, man, I, I can't imagine what that was like. And just being present in that, that's one of those questions of all the questions you want to ask that one. That's a, question guised in a statement that man what tell me about that what what happened i care and i'm gonna be here you know we talked about the problem of evil i think that that would play a lot into this is you know there's a logical response to that but there's also the pastoral response and i think the answer to that question is a pastoral response and it is man wow really you know why do you feel that way? What, what, tell me about that. What happened? And I think if they were courageous enough to tell you that they're begging for somebody to listen. In our men's class, um, when we went through, uh, trauma, yeah. um, whether it be sexual trauma or just trauma in general, I think one of the biggest things that, um, we pointed out that, um, coffee cup scripture isn't going to be the <laughs> remedy that we want to offer, but just silence and listening and caring make the biggest impact because uh, typically, um, sorry, typically, right, when, we, when we're dealing with that thing, we're like, I already know that. That's not what I want to hear. Right. Everyone's already told me that. <laughs> yep. Right. Uh, Oh, God has a plan for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> God, God and doesn't you, get this. Is the one night. Oh my goodness, uh, it just gets me yep, fired up. It. I'm sure. You, yep. God doesn't give. Um, oh, what is that? I, you, you more than you can handle. Yes. Or, I'm like, yes, that's the one. Right. Yeah, it doesn't get. Or God gives the hardest things to his th- strongest soldiers. That one, I'm like, yeah. oh, like that's not even biblical. <laughs> Well, neither is God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's, I know that is that is actually antichrist. Oh, like it is against goodness. what what Christ actually said. That no, it happened to me. It's going to happen to you. In my you know vocabulary, Jesus said, "Expect this to suck." Yeah, 
this is going to be bad. You shouldn't expect anything else. But that's for people who know Jesus. That's people who are trying to follow Jesus. That isn't the response to somebody hurting. And like you said, you know, talking about trauma, presence is the best response. You know, it's, it's not even, I've been there too. That could be a response down the road is, man, I am, that breaks my heart. You know, I've talked about, say, I'm sad and not, I'm sorry, because you had nothing to do with that. Praise God, you had nothing to do with that. Thank you for seeing me in this mess. Thank you for not preaching to me, for not preaching at me, for not trying to make me feel good. Thank you for being present. Whether it's sexual trauma, whether it's physical trauma, whether it's emotional trauma, whether it's church hurt validating their experience and and this is a case where subjective reality works because that pain is real it's not up to us it's not our role to say well that shouldn't have hurt that didn't happen that's a lie of satan feelings are valid and what are the what's the evidence behind those feelings but pain is pain and having been on both sides of that the people who are just willing to hear my story and be present. That's how we make a difference. That's how we respond to a broken world that is hurting, that may be hurting themselves purposely or, or inadvertently. And we see them where they're at and we're willing to listen and willing to be present. You know, and I tell people, don't ask, you know, what do you need? Say, if you need anything, I'm here. Because asking, what do you need? One puts pressure back on them to come up with something and somebody who's hurting and lost already doubts their own reality anyway. And so by asking, what do you need? If I don't know exactly what I need, then maybe I'm not actually hurting, which is what the abuser says. That's what Satan says. That's what the own lies in my head say. That didn't happen. It wasn't really that bad. And so when you ask me, what do you need? I may not know. And if I don't know, maybe I don't actually hurt in in the case of traumatic experience, it's less questions and more presence. I see you. I love you. I'm here. I'm going to be here. That's where we need to talk just a little bit. That's where we make the statements. When somebody's hurting, when somebody's lost, when somebody says they don't care that much, they're begging for our attention. And, um, Hopefully these were just questions just for the sake of questions, but whoever submitted this, if you're listening, I want to hear your story. I really do. Yeah. I really do. And I hope you know that Sean, uh, I, or I don't have to speak for Sean. I, I think you've spoken enough that you feel the same way. Um, and I know it's hard because in in these last eight months, there's a couple of things that have come I've come to realize and uh, call me out if if you don't feel the same way. I feel these questions are very relevant to a lot of the group, not everyone in the group, but a lot of the group that they feel like the faith that they had feels like a cult and not real. I feel like they think that the older generations are just, they just think everything is wrong and um, not they they don't understand today's world and 
I just I just don't care what they have to say. And I base it off conversations, um, um, you, upfront conversations, and also through anonymous um, discussions through surveys, right, and things right. like that. Uh, looking at that and really looking at the surveys that were given out back in January into where we're at now. Um, so um, we we want to be here to um, to hear your side of the story, why you feel Definitely. that it's a cult, why you're having, why you're, why you're having um, doubt or just feel lost. Um, there is absolutely nothing you can say that would anger me or disgust me or <laughs> make me judge you. I've, gosh, <laughs> I'm nobody to do that for sure. So, um, but we, I, I want you to know that and Sean for sure would want you to know that we love you guys and we are here for you. And, uh, I know it's been a tough eight months. It's been very, um, educational and very God driven identity in Christ driven because that's what matters. It matters. It matters when you're doubting because that's when he shows up the most it's in those moments of doubts. And, uh, and if he uses me or Sean, or anyone in our ministry team to, to assist you will be a privilege, but just know that we are here for you. So hopefully there were just questions Definitely. to ask, but if these are real questions, I'm sincerely calling out to you, reach out to, reach out to us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah that's I, had, my... I had a really good question a few weeks ago. You know, if God knew everything, you know, why did he create this mess? You know, in that, in that... It's a really tough question and really smart people have struggled with that same question. But, you know, the point that I got to was you know, doubt shows that you care. Because if you didn't care, you wouldn't give it a second guess. And so by experiencing that doubt, it is your own psyche, your own spirit saying, this is important. I want to understand better. And so... Jeff Anthony said it, I'll say it. If you're doubting, praise God. Your questions are safe. Your questions demonstrate, should show you and everybody else that you care and that you're interested in finding the answers. You just don't quite understand it completely. Yep. We're all still trying to figure it out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. Well, um... So uh, at the end of the class, we asked what what people would like to do, and it kind of, as always, pretty quiet. Well, <laughs> so I, we told them, don't leave it up to us, because then we'll make decisions, and you have to live with it. Right, <laughs> so, but we did get we did get one response that yeah. you know I want to know about the evidence, and so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the summer with you know the specific reasons on why we can trust the Bible. You know, I told the class, you know, I didn't get to participate in the debate, but, you know, this is me showing my homework now, like how I would respond to it. And so we're going to talk about the reason we can trust the Bible, what sets the Bible apart and why we can trust what it says, because it matches what the world says about it. Yeah. And I'm glad you're coming back to that because that was one of the weeks you were off and we did yeah. the... Um... We let Frank and Melissa kind of carry that uh, part of that load. 
um, while you were gone when we did uh, the the good old commentary to their their interview. So that'd be good. All right, and so um, so that you're gonna wrap that up. So I want to make sure yeah. I text out that we're not breaking up in group in, um, so we can do that. Um, have you uh, finish out the class, and then what we'll do the next week, we'll we'll split up um, the the men and the women uh, to have conversation, uh, and then uh, we'll jump into um, how to be a contagious Christian. So. Um, We'll jump into that. I mean, are you good with that? I'm excited. All right, awesome. Me too, man. It's like you got you got to do what you're passionate about. Now it's my turn. Yeah, yeah, man. I thought I wasn't <laughs> passionate about Christian sexuality, bro. But yeah, like now I'm like, cool. It's my turn. This is this is where <laughs> good. This is where we can go. So, did yeah. I tell you the shirt that I'm designing? No. So on our Saturday group, uh, we we're talking about spreading seed and uh people were kind of just saying oh yeah you know people uh, hate on on evangelists and i was like i was like nah man i was like what we need to do is just uh be such a light that they they can't cast any shade on us so yeah. my shirt is literally going to be a guy in the front uh throwing seed and uh in the back and say too much light to catch shade <laughs> nice I yeah like it. so so i'm designing you that make shirt. two of those Absolutely. I still got to make our Nabra, our Nabras. Now, oh, I'm, thank you, Lord. It's leading to this. Okay, so um, I, I will need you to remind me on Sunday, and anyone who's listening to the podcast, if you're here, remind me, we do need to have, um, uh-oh, he's coming back. Hold on. Hey. I... <laughs> hey, there you are. <laughs> uh, you see, look. They're trying to work. The devil's trying to work, man. It ain't going to happen. Yep. Not today. Yeah. I, Not today, I got Satan. the same notice. We're having connectivity issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What I was going to say is that um, the last three weeks, we've had people um, not know that we have a class for them. So um, um, we need to have people volunteer to um, greet and meet people down in the hallways, the top and the bottom, to, to lead them yeah. to class. So um you know, if, if we can get people to volunteer, I'll buy them extra donuts. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, you know, praise God that Cody does have greeters where they're coming to him at least after the fact and be like, hey, yeah, no, yeah. We, we have a class for you. So uh, I want to thank um, also the, the people in second service who are able to see new people um, in the in the hallways and inviting them to sit down and get to know them and invite them Definitely. to uh, to their class. So, um, man, I am so humbled and honored, um, to see the class growing. Definitely. Uh, I'm just, I'm always in awe of God, uh, and what he does. And, um, I just look forward to having this class grow so big that we need to, to kick the high schoolers out. <laughs> just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or to be like, Hey, build us another building, please. You got all that land. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, awesome. If we, if you can remind me about that, because I'm sure yeah. I'll forget. So I think it'd be a, a great way for us to serve those who are coming in. Um, so but aside from that, I mean, uh, I'm ready to, to get into um, contagious, uh, how to be a contagious Christian. Um, it's basically six courses, but uh, or six things specific. But the nice thing I can break those up uh, to kind of extend it out. 
where we get into November. And then uh, what I'm going to do is basically put a box out. So I liked your idea when it came up to, to this thing specific for, for you to end your class. I think it would be great where we can put a box and just kind of be like, hey, anonymously just put in whatever it is that that you want to ask about that we haven't covered in the eight weeks, or I'm sorry, the eight months, nine months. Holy smokes. Bro, we're getting into September. Time flies, oh. man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like we've covered so much in, in this time frame, but I'm sure we haven't covered <laughs> yeah. enough. So um, like we, we, we just want to be wherever you guys want this class to get to. So um, if not, I mean, we'll, we'll be talking about 95 thesis. We'll be talking about LDS. No, <laughs> what else can be like, <laughs> we'll be talking about um, um, what, what is that? Chlorophyll. <laughs> I was thinking, isn't that what Ben Stein was talking about? Was chlorophyll in his science class and uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I don't remember, man. No. Anyways. The only thing I can think of for Ben Stein was, um, was expelled. You know, no intelligence allowed. Um, <laughs> that, that that thing. Yeah, we actually yeah. sat down with 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 Richard Dawkins. It's interesting. I read a lot about about that before I saw it. Mm. Um, I, did, I was surprised that, you know, he believes in God. Anyway, wasn't what I expected. But, yeah. You know, oh man, uh, Penn Gillette, yeah. like, uh, you know, yep. he's a staunch atheist, yep. but man, he said something that I just watched the other day, and I think it was a few years old, that he, he said, he's like, I would feel more offended by a Christian that didn't come up and to tell me about their God than a Christian who does come up and tell me about their God. I felt, man, I thought that was, as someone who, who, who deeply cares about talking about God, like, I thought that was such a profound and powerful thing for someone who doesn't believe in God to say. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard him talk about that before that like, he's confident in his lack of faith, but is genuinely grateful when Christians try to share their faith with him just because if they really believe it, that's how they can prove it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I mean, a lot of atheists aren't that courageous, aren't that open-minded that, you know, they, they claim to be these beacons of reason in science and facts. But then, you know, when, when somebody who believes in the opposite worldview says, Hey, let me tell you about this God that I believe in. Most of them don't respond that in that way. Yeah. Oh man, well, um, we we are getting to the two hour mark, so I think we we, we yeah. fulfilled our two weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, check check. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, I know that you opened up in prayer for us. I, I would I would love to pray us out. Um, All right, man. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son Jesus and your Spirit. Thank you for your salvation plan. Before as you laid out the foundations of this earth, knowing exactly how everything was going to be played out, you still put together a plan to bring us closer to you and to be with you, not only for a small time of, uh, of existence, but for an eternity of time, Lord. Lord, uh, I pray for my brothers and my sisters as they're away at school, um, that you give them peace, that you give them um, rest, uh, that you give them the ability to retain the information that they need so they can be successful in school, that they obtain knowledge 
um, that will help them out in the careers that you set forth for them, Lord. But most of all, that uh, they can use it as well to glorify you. Because everything that is in this world is of you. Um, you created everything. So it's meant to be uh, done for your glory. Lord, uh, I pray for those of our brothers and sisters who um, are in class that show up every Sunday um, to, to learn more about you. Uh, help Sean and I to listen to your spirit and to guide the class according to what you want to be uh, taught, Lord. Help uh, both Sean and I to continue to grow um, with you and that we can be strong beacons of light uh, for our group and also for the world outside of the, the walls of our church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our eldership. I thank you for our brothers and sisters of the church. I thank you for all our brothers and sisters who were martyred and gave up their lives so we can have the freedom where we're at now to praise and glorify you and to know your son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, just thank you. And we love you. We praise you in the name of your son, Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brother. Love you. You too. This concludes this week's podcast. Just remember, when the world tries to get you to backslide, all you got to say is,